Say go. If you like what we're doing here, if you support the show and you want to give support to the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash let's talk native. And if you do so, we'll provide you some exclusive content and some things that uh, others aren't going to get when you get it. So support us by going to Patreon. Yahweh. Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Sego, I'm John Kane. Let's talk native. Of course, if you're Rick Santorum, there's not much to talk about. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, but uh, Rick Santorum was giving some speech to some young people someplace, I guess, in the United States, and went on this, this long rant about uh, American exceptionalism, how the United States was created out of nothing. Uh, there was nothing here. Um, it was they created a blank slate is what he is what he described we'll we'll play some of the audio so you can hear f- from him exactly what he was talking about we came here and created a blank slate we we birthed a nation from nothing i mean there's nothing here i mean yes we have native americans but if, but candidly that that there isn't much native american culture in american culture all right so <laughs> um it's almost tough to know where to start with this, but but let me begin by saying what Rick Santorum was saying is a widely held belief. I mean, it's wrong. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is wrong. But this is a widely held belief, and I don't mean just a widely held belief right now. It has always been a widely held belief. This this idea that the United States, that North America was was an empty land just waiting for somebody to, to, to create a, a great nation out of is, is just pure bullshit. Um, but, it, but it goes back to, to Columbus's voyage, stumbling upon some islands in the Caribbean. The, the reference from the Pope referred to terra nullis, the concept of, uh, of, of vacant land. Terra, null, terra means land, nullis means void. So basically, void of, of, of humanity is essentially what the, what the church regarded, not just uh, the Caribbean islands or the, the, the lands that were being discovered, I guess, but frankly, any lands that didn't have Christians on them could be regarded as terra nullis, lands void of, uh, of humanity, because they could look at pagans or, or non-Christians as, um, as less than human, and, and in fact, they would go farther than that. They would actually refer to uh, non-Christians as enemies of Christ. So that's, and that's all part of the doctrine of Christian discovery. And these are the, the you know, uh, this doctrine is born out of papal bulls from the, the 16th, um, the 15th and 16th centuries. And it lays down some of the very things that that's Santorum and, and others are still saying. I mean, it's important to realize that what Rick Santorum was saying is 
learned. I mean, you, you don't pop out of the womb, even as a white guy, uh, a racist. You have to learn to be a racist. So you have to learn this stuff. And, and let's be clear. Rick Santorum is a very educated guy. I mean, this isn't a guy who, you know, who doesn't know, uh, hasn't ever, ever taught history or uh, been taught history. I mean, he's a lawyer. He was a he was a you know a, a U.S. senator from Pennsylvania, not from some backwater southern state. You know, if that's the way you view that. But no, he, he, this is this was a a northern educated white man, and he again he was a, a senator for for over twelve years, ran for president, almost almost got the Republican nomination, and now he's a a CNN <laughs> contributor. We'll talk about CNN, but. What he was expressing there is it, it is it's classic white supremacy, because in order to demonstrate greatness or white supremacy, you've got to um, you've got to disparage everything else. You've got to call down everything that's not white. I mean, his his whole speech was about how Europeans came to this vacant land that had nothing on it and and no one to contribute anything of value. And they, they came to this new land escaping religious persecution, which, let me just say this right off the bat, that, that's more bullshit. The vast and overwhelming majority of Europeans throughout history who came to North America were not escaping religious persecution. I mean, there, there were people who came that were, were escaping political persecution, so whether you're talking about Irish or Italian immigrants or, you know, or, or, or any, any of them, they, they didn't come escaping religious persecution. They weren't coming to be free uh, from a religious or a spiritual standpoint. Uh, you know, they, they, this is all built into that whole pilgrim, um, you know, uh, the Mayflower story and all that stuff. And of course, most, again, most white folks who showed up in North America were not escaping religious persecution. That, that's just simply a lie. But it's a lie that was taught and, and continues to be taught. I think it's really important to, to understand where a guy like Rick Santorum gets all of these beliefs from. I mean, again, it's taught even as a, as a form of, of religious catechism. This idea of, of the greatness of, the again, the Judeo-Christian work ethic. I mean, the fact that, that the United States was essentially built out of stolen land and stolen labor and, uh, and, and extermination of people. I mean, it, it's genocide and slavery. Genocide of Native people and enslavement of, of both Native people and of, uh, of, of, of Africans. But so, so how do we have this story so mixed up? Well, I mean, it, it really comes down to how things are taught in school. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an, an example. <laughs> uh, I was looking at a, a few pieces from, uh, fr from some elementary school workbooks. One of the um, these elementary school workbooks, and I'll start with um, with with a, a great one from uh, a I think it's a, a third grade or grade three, as they say in Canada, workbook, um, and, and it is from the Canadian side. It says, when European settlers arrived, they needed land to live on. The First Nations peoples agreed to move to different areas to make room for them uh, in their new settlement. 
This is literally what is printed in a textbook. That, that First Nations people agreed to move to different areas to make room for the new settlement. I, I mean, I don't know how you could mischaracterize truth any greater than that. Well, but I do have another example. But, but So if this is what's taught to you as a third grader, and then it's never corrected. See, I, I, see, I don't believe you should teach something that's false just to be age-appropriate. And then what later you'll correct what you taught them in third grade. It, it, it just doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. So, but I do realize that, that history is ugly. I mean, when you think about the atrocities that were committed against native people, against black people, you know, I realize that these are tough subjects, but if you're going to teach it, uh, teach a lie as it relates to some of this stuff with some kind of uh, uh, obscure plan to, to rectify that truth or th those, those lies later. Here's another example. This, uh, th and this is from the U.S. side. This is, this is a, um, some language that was taken out of um, a workbook from Pittsford, uh, New York. Pittsford, and that's near, um, uh, near Rochester. And so it just made news because it recently was exposed and they and now they've taken it out of their the part of their curriculum. But this was dealing with, with slavery. And of course, they don't say slavery. They got to they have to keep referring to people as slaves. And I have a problem with that. I don't I won't say that I don't make the mistake sometimes. But if you're going to talk about a person and you're going to identify a person, you shouldn't identify them by the crime that they were the, a victim of. So I would rather refer to the enslaved or an enslaved people than, 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 than to call them slaves. But here's, why did slaves come to America? Yeah, this is an actual, an actual question. And, it's, and, and here's, and it has a, a sentence where only one line has to have um, the blank field. And it says, as an exchange for the trip to America, African-Americans agreed to work for the colonists for blank number of years but then we're kept as slaves. So <laughs> what it's saying is that all of those Africans, and they're already calling them African-Americans, which is kind of crazy. All of the, those Africans agreed to, to, you know, to be chained in the bottom of a boat and dragged to another continent and distributed, not just to North America, but South America through, I mean, through all of it. I mean, through, I mean, it, it is, I mean, this is one of the greatest crimes ever committed, this idea of the transatlantic slave trade. I do have to remind people, though, the first boat that crossed the Atlantic with slaves was a boat carrying native people from the Caribbean back to Spain. So the first transatlantic slave ship was bringing native people in, uh, that were, uh, again, chained in, in a boat to be brought back to, to Spain. But... The idea that they would suggest, and of course call them African-Americans right off the bat, that they agreed, that they made some sort of agreement, well, in exchange for the boat ride, we'll, we'll work for you for a couple of years. I'm sorry. That is just a bald-faced lie. And then at the very end, it says, but then they were kept as slaves. I mean, it's like, um, yeah, that was the original contract, but uh, but they had their contract renegotiated at the end, and so now they had to be slaves forever and ever. I mean, but this is what is being taught to kids. 
And if you teach this to a child, again, you cannot say, well, this is how we're going to teach it now to be age appropriate and we'll fix it later on. So, again, as, as I talk about where does a guy like Rick Santorum get the, you know, get these crazy ideas? It comes from his church upbringing. It comes from the Catholic Church and, and frankly, the, the other uh, denominations, too. It comes from just out of the, the pure sense of racism and white supremacy. But it isn't just guys like Rick Santorum. You know, look, I've talked about the doctrine of Christian discovery many times on the show. And I had to remind people that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the liberal darling of the Supreme Court for many, many, many years, many, many, too many years, cited the doctrine of Christian discovery in 2005 as uh, in, in her footnotes. And it was part of her rationale for throwing out a case where the Oneidas were trying to reclaim lost land. And they weren't like suing people or, or chasing people off or running, you know, white people off their land. They were buying it. And then says, no, this, we, we have a Supreme Court ruling that acknowledges that we have a right to this title or to claim title or sue for title. We didn't either. We bought the land and now we're, we're, we're just, we're, we're, we are reclaiming it as Oneida land. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg cites the doctrine of Christian discovery in her footnotes as part of the rationale for why you can't, why that can't happen. So a Jewish woman on the Supreme Court in 2005. Now, again, we're not talking about something that was, you know, espoused during the 1800s. Although <laughs> this is the doctrine of Christian discovery becomes codified into U.S. law in 1823. In what uh, is referred to as the, the Johnson v. McIntosh, the Johnson versus McIntosh decision by Chief Justice John Marshall wrote the um, wrote the opinion. And. And again, he reduced native people as uh, almost like we were just the animals that lived here. We didn't, we didn't have the right to claim title to land. And that's what he said, because we weren't Christians. Uh, we were more like the animals. And all we did was have some sense or some right to occupancy. But even that right to occupancy was, uh, was ultimately denied. But we didn't have the right to claim land. We just had the right to op occupy space. And of course, you know, uh, when you consider all of the massacres and the murders and the intentional spread of disease, in spite of what John Marshall said, uh, our right to occupy space didn't even exist. Not in the United States. But, you know, I, to address a little bit more of what Santorum had to say, what Santorum suggested it was that Oh yeah, there were there were Native Americans here, but there is, and what he said was almost there's almost no Native American culture that's a part of American culture. Well, look, there's no question that that white people who um, understood what Native people represented used many parts of our culture. They used it. They used it as the rationale for uh, for rebelling against the Great Britain. In fact, they for for many many years. Native people weren't just called Indians, a mistake, uh, that, a misnomer that came out of Columbus. But when Europeans were referring to Americans, they, they were referring to Native people. Well, uh, you know, no fine, upstanding white man would call himself an American. It wasn't until they started pursuing this notion or this idea of separation from, uh, from Europe that they had to now connect themselves to land. 
look, our word for uh, for native person or, or uh, is umwe umwe, and and that word means that we are original or that we're real. We are real human beings because a real human being has to have a connection to to the to the space to the land that they that that supports them and and that has reared them, so to speak. So the the colonists had to have a change of thought. And they and they and they grabbed some of that reasoning from the way native people connected themselves to land. So essentially, it, you know, as, as Jefferson's writing the Declaration of Independence and referring to us as merciless Indian savages along the way, he's actually citing some very clear native principles that we are a distinct people because of the distinct land that we, that we live on and, and that, that informs who we are. And of course, guys like Ben Franklin would actually make comments about uh, the the union that the the six nations would had formed that had lasted thousands of years and he would actually say how is it that uh, that uh, um ignorant savages could form such a union yeah that's what he referred to as ignorant savages while 13 colonists of a fine white bread can't uh, um can't you know come to an agreement to to form a to form a union I mean, this, these are the, so we were used even in their debates to rebel against Great Britain. And as they, as they formed their new nation, they, they used concepts like people serving the, uh, serving the public, being in public service. They weren't talking about creating royalty, although that was certainly a debate. They weren't trying to mimic what, exists, the, what existed as the monarchies of Europe. No, they said, how about we, we put people in a position where they are the servants of the people? Well, that, that was a uniquely Haudenosaunee concept. And they didn't invent that by themselves. And I know a lot of people say, well, yeah, no, they, they drew all their principles from the Magna Carta. Bullshit. Again, more bullshit. It is well documented you know, through, through many of the, the quote-unquote founding fathers of the United States how much they had gleaned from the examples that that not only the Haudenosaunee look there was conversation about um, making the uh, the Delaware the Lenape a a fourteenth um, colony, I mean uh, um, or a 14th state. I mean there was no question that Native people had a significant influence. I'm not saying they didn't screw up everything that we ever suggested to them. They certainly left out women's rights or any kind of equal rights. They uh, they didn't understand that that we really hung on to a principle that lacked hierarchy. I mean, uh, we, in, in many ways, this notion of anarchy is about rejecting hierarchies. It's not just about chaos. We had a really defined, well-organized system that, that rejected hierarchy. We, you know, we didn't, a chief was no higher than, uh, than anybody else. A clan mother was no higher than anybody else. They had responsibilities. And why did they have the responsibilities? Because they demonstrated the talent to, uh, to carry those responsibilities. You didn't select somebody to, uh, to be a, a chief or a clan mother to honor them. No, you select them because they, they showed a, an aptitude to bringing people together and helping people resolve conflicts. Is, that's why people were selected for those purposes. And, and those selections were not elevations. They, they, weren't, they, they were not being lifted up. Their heads were the same height. So these were the concepts that we held close to who we were. And, 
and, and, and oftentimes those kinds of conversations were, were a part of the development of the rationale by, by colonists. Of course, they rejected many of them. Why? Because they were aristocrats themselves. They were arrogant. They were men. They didn't. They weren't going to elevate women to the same level that they had. That, plus, they had already developed their own class system. They had property holders. I mean, look, uh, Thomas Jefferson, you know, had had over a hundred slaves. George Washington was a major landholder swindler. I mean, th that's what these guys did. I mean, they were about accumulating wealth, either by stealing property or or, or exploiting you know slave labor. That's what they all did. Now, and I'm not saying because they all did it, it's right. Because that's the other people say, well, you have to consider the time. That was acceptable. It was never acceptable to the people who lost their land or who were enslaved. We never accepted that stuff. So this is what gets lost in all of this translation here and, and, over, and over the years. But again, what Santorum was espousing is something that, that presidents, um, you know, congressmen, senators, you know, um, military leaders— They've been saying all of this stuff for years. There's nothing new that Rick Santorum said the other day that hasn't been said many, many times over. What I will say is you haven't heard such a bold telling of that belief system in quite some time. It used to be, you know, look, these, those kinds of things were set right on the, on the Senate floor, on the, on the, in the House chambers, in, in courts of law. These, those very sentiments have been said over and over and over again. But Rick Santorum just said it last. <laughs> so, so what's going to be the fallout? Well, you, you know, you, the expectation would be, well, surely CNN would fire him. No. I will say if any person, you know, especially any, even a white guy, if any white man had stood up in public and spoke such disparaging uh, ideas and 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 was was ever so insulting to any other group of people, Jewish people or black people or Muslim people or um, you know, even you know look even uh, even uh, uh, refugees and immigrants, they would be fired, they would be fired. But Native people hold a special place in American history because we can be insulted, and I don't know if they, people just say, oh, yeah, they got tough skin. <laughs> we do. We actually have a part of our culture that says we have to have, um, our skin has to be seven spans thick. <laughs> so apparently, you know, places like CNN think it's fine to insult Native people. In fact, CNN themselves, and if you recall back during the election uh, coverage, when they put this whole big one of the graphics up, they were trying to talk about um, the percentages of of American voters, and they listed white people and black people and Hispanic, and and then in one column they didn't never put Native people up there, but they had one column that said um, something else. So they had Asians, Hispanics, black people, and white people, and then something else. I mean, I don't even know. I mean, the assumption was that something else meant native people, but, but I think it gave a percentage of something like 6% or something like that. We're not that high. So they must've lumped a whole lot of other people in there. But, and again, they, CNN acknowledges that it was a mistake to have characterized it that way, but they never apologized to anybody. I mean, they, they constantly have people on there and Wolf Blitzer, he's from Syracuse, New York. 
This is a guy who should, who should kind of know better. I mean, you would think growing up in central New York, close to the, the seat of the Haudenosaunee, the Onondagas, you would think Wolf Blitzer would have something to say, but nah, he doesn't. I mean, look, they're all idiots. But, they're, but the ignorance that these guys have isn't because they can't know this stuff. This is what I oftentimes refer to as willful ignorance. There's a choice that white people make to ignore truth, to ignore real history, and then re, you know, rewrite history like like they did with this you know with, with this class in, in in Canada telling saying that first nations people agreed to leave <laughs> agreed to leave their homelands so white people could have a have a new place to live or teaching you know teaching little white kids that uh you know why did <laughs> why did african americans come to the uh come to to america i mean if this is what you're taught as a child even as other information comes, look, you can't go from third grade learning this kind of crap and go your whole life and not ever heard some truth about what slavery meant, what genocide meant. So what you do is you have to ignore this stuff. And, you know, and I've talked about this before because it comes right back to, and I'm sorry, I'm going to bring it up again, the mascot issue. The, the whole idea that thousands of schools across the United States and, and, and even, you know, um, uh, sports teams at, at universities and professional teams have used native mascots. In order to do that, you have to erase the history because nobody's going to want to use a native people for mascots when you're only thinking about native people as, as the victims of genocide. Who would ever want to use a victim of genocide? For a mascot. So you ignore that. You, you pretend that didn't happen. And then you create in your own mind this, this notion of, a, of the noble savage, the brave, the courageous, the resilient. Resilient? We had our population almost eliminated. There were calls for our extermination from guys like L. Frank Baum and, you know, and Theodore Roosevelt and some, you know, some of the most prominent people in, in U.S. history. We're literally calling for our extermination. And they said, look, if we couldn't become them, we must be destroyed. That's what that came off the Senate floor. Uh, the, the Secretary of the Interior, basically, you know, uh, this was cited oftentimes with uh, as, as De Deb Haaland was be, uh, being put into that spot. She, she cited a former uh, Interior Secretary who basically said that we we needed to be destroyed if, if we couldn't be assimilated. So if we couldn't have our culture stripped from us, if we couldn't um, get through the ethnic cleansing that is a part of assimilation, and assimilation is genocide, if we couldn't survive this, uh, this process of Americanization, stripping away Native culture, and, and then pretending it doesn't exist, kind of like Rick Santorum. If we couldn't survive that, then, then, we, then we have to be destroyed. I mean, there, there's a whole logic that says, you know, people are on, all people on the planet are, on, are only on one of two planes. They are either a people who are being destroyed or a people who are rising up. Yeah, this, this was a widely held concept. That you are either moving towards extinction or you are progressing to, to a higher elevation of, uh, of civilization. And of course, if you're a people of color, if you're black or if you're brown or if you're native, 
you were obviously on the extinction path and every white white person uh, who, who could play a part was there to help ha that happen. The mascot issue, this idea of, of white people claiming, they're not really claiming to be native people. They're just rewriting who their own version of history to say, oh yeah, we're going to call ourselves Indians because, um, uh, because they're brave. Well, who are, who are they saying that we were brave against? Who are they saying that we, we, dis we displayed all this courage against? It was against the genocide that your people were committing against us. So it's, it is really, really absurd when you think about how many people in high places, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like I said, on the Supreme Court, um, some of the stuff, look, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, presidents of the United States, I, in, in recent times, espoused this notion of the great American dream. And you know, and, and many of them praised the whole idea of stripping land away from Native people. I mean, uh, you know, I, I heard Obama and, and, and Trump both praised the, the Allotment Act. This idea that you could, you know, just separate Native people from lands. Why? So America could grow. These, these concepts are not just new to, you know, just new to Rick Santorum. He's just an example. Yeah, you know, sure, he's, he's obnoxious. He's a right-wing hack. A has-been politically. But people pay, he was paid to speak to this group of young people. He was paid to do this. So this wasn't some offhand comment that he made, you know, in, in some private setting. This is a guy being paid to espouse this crap. So not only was he taught this stuff, he is being paid to further teach others this crap. So when you, when you question why somebody like me is speaking out against the mascot issue, or against against any of this revisionist history, and then then you want to say, well, you know, that's all part of cancel culture. Well, you're right, you're right, because what cancel culture is, is is people like me developing not just a culture, but the stamina and the power to speak out against false narratives. It's not about canceling culture; it is a culture of canceling false narratives. That's what cancel culture is. But people have misrepresented it. Over and over and over again. Who, and who mostly? The right wing. Just like the same ones who want to condemn political correctness. Hey, there is nothing wrong with correcting something that is wrong. I mean, in, in fact, it should be all of our goals and responsibilities to correct false narratives. And, and among the false narratives, if something is politically incorrect, it, me, it usually means it's incorrect. It means that you're saying something or doing something that that is wrong you're you're either saying something that's racist or bigoted or or or, or, or hip, uh, hypocritical so the idea of correcting that hypocrisy and that bigotry and that racism yeah it it is politically politically correct to do that but to condemn political correctness to condemn cancel culture that, that is something that the right wing clings to because they have to, because their power comes from one of the pillars of, of, of right wing politics. And that's, that's racism, white supremacy. That's why, that's why white people 
gather towards, towards the right because they know that it's going to benefit the rich and the wealthy and, uh, and the white. So Rick Santorum standing up and saying this stuff, it doesn't surprise me. I'm actually a little surprised at, at the, um, the reaction to it all by, by some. <laughs> of course, there stands CNN still, still keeping him on as a pundit. So, look, I had to weigh in on this. Uh, you know, I will say if you, if you listen to what Santorum said in full and perhaps even listen to it a couple of times, you will know that every, almost everything he said was wrong. Everything he said was wrong, from the idea that there was nobody here to the reason Europeans came to how they, they created something from nothing. You know, and of course, he, he conveniently left out, you know, a half a million you know, black people who were either dragged from Africa directly or indirectly dragged up from South America uh, after previously being dragged uh, across the Atlantic, who would become the, the basis for the chattel slavery um, industry of the United States. One of the, the biggest and most successful uh, economic stimulus uh, uh, concepts that, that, that the, United States, the United States ever experienced. Stolen land and stolen labor. That's the, that is the, the, the bulwark of, uh, of the United States. That's exactly what it is. Stolen land stolen lives, stolen labor. And the murder that was necessary to, to accomplish all of that. That's, that is what the United States was built on. And I, if it's uncomfortable, sorry, but that's the truth. That is the painful truth. So by all means, understand what Rick Santorum had to say is a widely held um, lie. And you know what? And here's the thing. They know it's a lie, but they have to keep repeating it. It's a, it's a, it's a whole idea. Well, if we keep saying it enough, then, then people will believe it's true. And maybe I can begin to believe it. I don't have to, I don't have to feel bad about, you know, the terrible things the United States has done to black people, to brown people, to native people. Again, um, I mentioned it a couple of times in the show, if you get a chance to catch um, Exterminate All the Brutes by Raul Peck, um, it is a series that was on HBO. Um, I, I would like to have a few people uh, check it out. By the way, tomorrow, if you're listening to this, uh, this, this show on Wednesday, on Thursday um, on WBI in New York and on Friday on WPFW in Washington, uh, my guest will be Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz. Uh, she is a historian and an author and has done a fine job um, really uh, putting out some of the, the true history as it relates to indigenous people and the, uh, and the United States. So um, uh, if you get a chance, uh, catch that show. Um, it's on Thursday at 3 o'clock on WBAI, and it'll be um, streaming live online. And then on Friday at 2 p.m. Uh, out of uh, Washington, D.C., again, streaming on WPFW's website. And uh, on WBA's website, I'll probably go ahead and uh, stream it on Facebook as well. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. This is John Gain. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.